Okay, I'm gonna introduce the program. Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program of hot news out of Latin America and the Caribbean. In partnership with Friends of Latin America and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast every Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. On Saturday, August 14, a magnitude 7.2 earthquake struck Haiti uh, in the south southwest region of Haiti, destroying more than 7,000 homes and damaging nearly 5,000, leaving about 30,000 families homeless. Hospitals, schools, offices, and churches also were demolished or badly damaged. The quake wiped out many of the sources of food and income for the population that depends upon, that it depends upon for the survival in Haiti, which is already struggling with the coronavirus, gang violence, and the July 7 assassination of President Hovenel Moïse. On Monday and Tuesday, Tropical Storm Grace brought heavy rains to the country. Today, pressure for a coordinated response to Haiti's deadly weekend quake mounted as more bodies were pulled from the rubble and the injured continued to arrive from remote areas in search of medical care. Aid is slowly trickling in to help the thousands who were left homeless. Tonight, we are joined by our guest co-host, Joab Elinevsky from Massachusetts Peace Action. He is the Latin America and Caribbean Working Group Coordinator. And our guest speakers this evening are Pierre Labossier and Robert Roth of the Haiti Action Committee. Pierre is Haitian born and from the region hit hardest by Saturday's earthquake. He is a veteran labor and human rights activist and co-founder of the Haiti Action Committee, a San Francisco Bay Area-based network of activists who have supported the Haitian struggle for democracy since 1991, following the military coup against democratically elected President Aristide. Pierre is also a board member of the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund. Our second guest is Robert Roth. He is also a co-founder of the Haiti Action Committee. He was a high school history teacher in San Francisco for 30 years. He is now an instructional coach for new teachers. He is a lifelong activist. He was active in the Central America Solidarity Movement in the 1980s and 1990s, and has worked for years to free political prisoners in the United States. Welcome everyone. It's a pleasure to have everybody back. I'm, I'm sorry for the circumstances in which we're broadcasting this evening, but um, our, our viewers should all know that we have all four of us have worked on, on Haiti uh, together before. And some of you may remember our prior um, webinar with Mass Peace Action. So welcome everyone, Pierre. Perhaps we should start with you since you are Haitian born and raised and specifically you are from the area that was hit hardest Saturday by the earthquake. Right, uh, thank you very much for, for being in solidarity with the people of Haiti. And I want to thank the audience as well for their support, for their support and solidarity. This is so, so needed, especially in the wake of this massive earthquake and also what has been going on in terms of the hurricane that hit um, Haiti on, on Monday. And I saw a video of the, of the devastation 
of the hurricane, particularly people who's, who have been made homeless by the terrible earthquake being standing in open fields because no one wants to go inside the few buildings that remain standing because many of them have been so have been uh, damaged or what have you but people were exposed to the rains and the wind and it was definitely heart-wrenching to see that um, people covering babies with their babies with plastic and uh, and as they brave the wind and walking trying to go to a place of shelter but being reluctant to do so. So very terrible situation. Um, one of the things that, um, as you mentioned, the death toll from what I see is nearing 2000. Uh, I just looked it up a bit online. It's nearing 2000 and you gave the numbers in terms of houses and schools that have been destroyed. And um, there are many schools that have been destroyed. Some of the figures, haven't seen the updated figures yet, but as of um, Tuesday morning, I believe there were in just two departments, we had um, um, over 6,000 people injured uh, over, as you mentioned, the houses destroyed close to um, 19,000, maybe more as the numbers have been, um, have been updated, damaged houses close to 15,000 families in need, 36,000. And again, this is for just two departments because the Southern Peninsula of Haiti, there were at least four departments that were affected. You had the South, South Department. You had the Grand Dance, which is all the way to the end. The main city is Jeremy. On the South, the main city is Lekai, where I was born. And also you have the NIP, uh, which is another in, um, department in the Southeast. Now, my wife, Maria, happens to be from the town of Lazil, and Lazil is right near the epicenter, and it's another place that's been very devastating. The, the epicenter is the town of petit de nip which has been devastated. And I mentioned those to say how great the devastation has been, and it extended people in Port-au-Prince felt the quake, and it extended also to devastation in the city of Jeremy and Pestel and a few other places. Now, what this brings to mind and, and um, is the fact that in looking at the brothers and sisters, in looking at the slow response, now nobody expected that, of course, there is going to be, the response is going to take a while. However, there were things that could have been placed, that should have been placed on the ground in Haiti to be a better, of better support for the population. Right now, it's mostly it's people in the communities helping each other and with their bare hands, pulling people out. But uh, I'm taking it to 2004, before the coup. There was a network, a national network to, for the protection of the civilian population uh, that was set up to provide assistance, whereby you had buildings that were sturdier. Uh, you had also, um, it was a more planned response with with uh, storage of food and essentials and medical supplies. But all that during the coup of 2004, a coup led by the US, France and Canada, destroyed a number of those of that infrastructure that was put in place. And since then it hasn't been rebuilt. And so what you have are communities left to fend for themselves. So after $17 billion, 
since the quake of 2010, um, Haiti has been really destroyed by this man-made um, neglect and the corruption that has taken place. And the corruption is not only monies from the earthquake that had been there, but also monies from the Petro-Caribe program that was supposed to have been invested in infrastructure, healthcare infrastructure, and other infrastructure uh, that could have been there to help support the population in this time. So as people are trying to dig out their neighbors, their friends, their relatives, their brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, um, babies out of the rubble, then questions are beginning to, to come up. How, how long are we going to be going through this type of every year, any little hurricane or any disaster that strikes that other countries are able to bounce back or are better prepared? Um, how long should we have this kind of lack of preparedness when there are certain things you can prevent a natural disaster However, the preparation to deal with the aftermath, given the monies that have been um, squandered in Haiti, stolen by the few people in power and big NGOs, uh, how long is this going to continue? And that's what the people's movement is addressing some of those questions, or uh, they are digging out their loved ones from the, from the, uh, from the horrific um, situation and the devastated buildings and infrastructure. Here, let me ask you, um, I mean, this, it's almost, um, I have to say, just, just talking with you this evening and seeing your face, I have to say I have so much respect for, um, for you people of Haiti. It's, it's profound um, what um, all of you have lived through in the last 300 years, but let's just look at like the last 30 to 60 days you know, the assassination of the president, um, the earthquake, and now a tropical storm. How, I mean, it's very, um, you're very much a beautiful and very strong people. And so I just want to share that with you and my deep respect for you and your family and, and everyone that you work with. Can you, um, can you share with us what, um, First of all, I hope, how is your family? Okay, as everyone? Yes, uh, we got news about the family. Everyone is okay. There is some material damage, but uh, compared to, the, to so many who've been affected, my family, you can say, have been unscathed. And, and uh, my wife's, uh, my family, my wife's side as well, you know, material damage, but so far, so good in terms of, human life. So what needs to, what needs to happen now? I mean, it's, there's so much loss and devastation and yet such a strength among you, your family and the, and the people that you work with in community in, in Haiti. What, uh, what needs to happen now? I mean, there needs to be material aid for sure, and as you mentioned, um, those investments that were made uh, during the Aristide administration and, and disappeared after the second coup against him, what, how, do, how do you start rebuilding? What is, it, what, what is the vision 
I know that's a really tough question now while everybody's still just trying to survive what happened on Saturday. Eddie, maybe I can uh, focus the question, how can we prevent a repetition of the disaster in the recovery process after the 2010 earthquake? In other words, we know yes. that most of the money did not go to the people in Haiti. We know that the money did not empower the people of Haiti. We know that it didn't put money to develop, to put development of the Haitian society. So how can we prevent a repetition of the disaster of the recovery process of 2010? Yes, let me pass that question to Wabert, who is also a board member of the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund. And Wabert, go ahead. Okay. Um, and yeah, this is a very tough time. And it's a, you know, like I was in Haiti a few months after the 2010 earthquake. And what we saw was, you know, well over a million people living like as you flew into Port-au-Prince at that point, all you saw was blue, which were these blue tarps everywhere. And when we visited these so-called tent cities, people had, and this was, a, this was six months, I think, after the earthquake, people still hadn't received aid. And they still, some food had been dropped from planes, um, you know, but they were, they were on their own. And, you know, I just read a story um, where there was a quote from uh, a man named Michel Millard, a 66-year-old farmer who lost his wife and his house in the earthquake. And he said, I don't expect any help. We're on our own. No one trusts this government here. And, you know, this is from the, earth, the affected area. And I think that that speaks to what Pierre was just saying, is that, you know, there's a natural disaster and then there's the geopolitical disaster, which is dictatorship, oligarchy, and elite government that is disconnected from the people. And so really the answer to your question, to both of your questions, is that there needs to be democracy in Haiti. There needs to be a people's government in Haiti. There needs to be a people that, a, a government that has its roots deep among the people. And that's what was being built under the Lavalas administrations of President Aristide. And that's what was um, crushed by two US coups. Now, in a period where there is a, um, an illegitimate government in power that stole a series of elections and that has no credibility among the people, just like it has no credibility for that farmer, that 66 year old farmer in the affected region, it means that grassroots organizations are going to play a very significant role. What, are, what do we mean by that? We mean peasant organizations, women's organizations, um, the Aristide Foundation, which in the last um, quake developed mobile health clinics and, and developed a mental health project that you know, really had respectful meetings with families of victims, you know, in a way that was, you know, that that didn't just go away after a month, but that lasted for years. And 
whatever kind of assistance comes has got to be deeply connected to those kind of groups. So both Pierre and I are on the, on the board of the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund, and we have no overhead, we have no paid staff. And unlike the big, the big NGOs, like which pay their staff first often, you know, and unlike the Haitian government, which takes the money for itself many times. And even in this, you know, like we're, when we're not the only group that's like this, but there, there are a few, but we're one, that everything goes to people in Haiti and everything will go to peasant groups in the Lake High area and the other parts of the Southern Peninsula. Everything will go to mobile health clinics to be set up. Everything will go to groups that will navigate a very complicated political um, situation in order to get aid to the affected communities. You know, so on the, in the short term, in the short term, what do people need? They need shelter. Like people are, as far as I know, Pierre, people in Lake I are living in the open air. They haven't even gotten, That's cool. they haven't even gotten tents or tarps yet. People are beginning to protest the lack of aid, you know, and on the one hand, of course, in a situation like this, aid takes a moment to arrive, but people's experience with the government, people's experience with the US and UN occupation is that their needs will not be met unless they demonstrate, unless they show their own resistance, you know, in the face of all of these disasters. So those are the groups that we're reaching out to in this moment. And in terms of your question, Ter Terry, about a long range vision, it's only the empowerment of those forces in Haiti, not of this, you know, tiny minority government and the continued occupation by foreigners. It's only with the empowerment of these forces that there will be a change in Haiti, that there will be development. There can't be development without democracy. There can't be reconstruction without social justice. You know, and the people who have to have a voice, not just a voice at the table, but have to be the main voices are the people in these communities whose voices have been marginalized for years by these US supported governments. So that's what we're trying to do. And if for people who are able to donate to the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund, our website is www.haitiemergencyrelief.org. And people have been incredibly generous over these last few days. We've been overwhelmed with the response. And the thing I would say is that, you know, Haiti is in the news for a minute for a minute and obviously events in Afghanistan, events in this country, like which are totally important and significant for peace and social justice activists, you know, but Haiti often is there for a second and fades away. Like when I went to Haiti six months after the earthquake in 2010, on the one hand, there were millions of people affected. On the other hand, it, it had faded from the US media. Nobody was talking about Haiti. So in terms of solidarity and support, hopefully we can be consistent 
and really be there and be there not just today and next week, but over the next months and years as people rebuild. I wanna just say one more thing, which is that this area that was just hit is the same area that was devastated by Hurricane Matthew in 2016. And so the people who are now rebuilding from the earthquake, like well over a million people in that area were affected, lost their crops, lost their homes. So this same, you know, this is that same region. And so it's a particularly urgent time. There's a danger of disease spreading in, you know, in the wake of the flooding that tropical storm Brace, which just hit Haiti, as Pierre said. So hopefully people will keep your eyes on Haiti. And as it fades from the front page of the New York Times, the Washington Post, et cetera, let's keep our eyes on other voices like your show, you know, to keep informed and keep vigilant. Uh, I wanna add one more comment on this, on the issue of the importance of supporting grassroots popular organizations. You know, in 2010, US citizens showed tremendous generosity to Haiti, contributing about $1.3 billion. Mm -hmm. Most of it to big NGOs, big charity organization. And as a matter of fact, in May of 2010, five months after the earthquake, CBS did investigation of the largest, the five largest charities, CARE, the American Red Cross, Catholic Relief Services, the Clinton Bush Fund, and the Clinton Foundation. They all spent less than 15% of the 52 million they collected. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it to emphasize the importance that if we want to contribute, contribute to an organization like the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund, because you know it's going to go directly to the Haitian people and empower them, and they will make the decision of what to do with this money. So that is the uh, uh, other organization that, uh, for example, in Boston, we have the Association of Haitian Women. So you know that when you contribute to such an organization, you know that the money is going to go and reach the people on the ground and will not be wasted on hotels, rent car rentals, security services, and all kinds of conferences. Robert and Pierre, can you tell um, the audience exactly um, what um, services and materials the, the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund purchases and how, um, what network or what groups you work with on the ground in Haiti to, um, to distribute the aid? We, we have traditionally, we've been in existence now, the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund under a different name. And that is uh, way back since the first coup <laughs> against President Aristide, taking it back to 92, 91, 92, and continuing to the present. So we took on the name Haiti Emergency Relief Fund uh, after the 2004 coup, because we expanded the board and we formalized it a little bit more. And so we've been, our traditionally we've worked with grassroots community organizations, peasant organizations, women's organizations in different parts of Haiti. As part, it's, it's always been the, the project that we support 
of projects that the people themselves in these communities themselves know and say, this is what we need in this community. Can you guys help us? And what we do is send them the resources to help them put their plans into operation. And this is from a, a project. Um, well, actually, this is from a, a plan that was devised by the Famille Lavalas uh, political organization called Investir dans l'humain. It's in the form of a book, which is a program of the Famille Lavalas party political organization, how to develop Haiti but from the standpoint of a grassroots, from the grassroots perspective. Uh, Robert and I, we were in Haiti in 2000, and we visited a community outside of Radair, where we, we had to park the car and walk to reach the, uh, the, where the organization was. It was that far away from the main road. And so we got there and we spoke to the, we were talking to the people and Robert asked me, he said, ask them for me. That book, Investir dans l'humain, which means investing in people, um, are they aware of it? And they were like, if we're aware of it, we help write it. And Robert was like, oh my God, you know? And they said, no, this was something that was put together by with discussions with various grassroots communities throughout Haiti, peasant organizations, women's organizations, youth organizations, you name it. And so everybody gave their input and that's what was collected as part of the form and became the Formula Valas platform. And when Formula Valas was in power, was elected overwhelmingly, it started implementing this plan, this plan of development so as to use the resources of Haiti, so as to use the, the, all, the infra, all the structures of the grassroots movement and implement this man to build hospitals, to build schools, to have clean sources of drinking water, to provide support for the peasant, for local agriculture, for food production, and you name it. And they started using the tax money and other resources of the people to invest in the people. So that's investir dans le main, investing in people. And with that model in mind, this is what we have continued to do with the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund, and which is what Formula Valas as a political organization is also doing in Haiti. The real problem, and I know people say, oh, politics, politics, no, politics is it. This is how you determine how you are going to implement the plans, how you are going to uh, provide a structure so that the society, various sectors in the society can have a say in how they are going to manage the resources of those various communities and of the nation. And so this is why um, this people, centered development model has been systematically undermined and are trying to crush it, but not success, but without success because it lives in the heart of the people and the people have seen what came out of it when Formula Valas political organization was in office. More schools were built than ever before in Haiti. More hospitals were built. There was a literacy program to educate, to provide um, um, reading and writing to the majority population. Plus there was an, a new economic model being implemented so that people could really achieve uh, um, a better life. Conditions, living conditions were beginning to improve. And this is what the Bush administration, Bush the son in 2004 uh, crushed 
um, you know, with the coup d'etat of 2004, the kidnapping coup d'etat against President Aristide. And this is the coup that continues to the present. And what we've had since that coup has been worsening conditions for the population of Haiti and the, the total lack of preparedness of the country to face things such as natural disasters of the magnitude that we have seen recently. This is part of what we call disaster capitalism, correct? You get rid of the public services and replace everything with private services. I mean, we're seeing that all over Latin America and the Caribbean, that any governments that have um, any sort of public or blend of public private um, system are, uh, are pushed out of office in one way or another. And I, that's really clear what's happened in Haiti and the inability for the private sector to respond. As you said, the public, the public system was destroyed after 2004 or left to erode or non-funded or you know, there's many ways to, to destroy a public system. I mean, in the United States, it's just not fun with public infrastructure and organizations just simply aren't funded by tax dollars anymore. So there's various ways of getting rid of those, those programs. Um, you said, so that we see happening all over the region and, and Saturday's um, effects of the earthquake are a really clear example or you know, immediate example of what happens with the lack of a public response. I, uh, the other thing that you said, and, and, I, and I just love this, is that the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund um, sends its money to community-defined projects versus an NGO-imposed project. And I just think that that's, you know, the empowerment of the people, listening to what the people need and want and funding that. Well, that's, that, can, I, can I just jump in on that? Because Please. <laughs> that's completely right. And, you know, you hear donor driven, right? Mm. And think about that word, right? Like, that means it's driven by the forces outside the country. You know, so you have these big NGOs with a, with a project that they want to bring to Haiti, and then people have to scurry to deal with that project and deal with the money that either comes to them or comes to a few people on staff. Like what Pierre was saying is that we are like, we're really, we're not defining what the needs are. Like we're well, you're letting the people in their communities. That's, that's right. We understand. And this, you know, I mean, you know, we're listening to the people on the ground in Haiti and they will tell us what their needs are. And we want to fund those needs. We don't want to determine like, okay, we're going to send you because we think it's best. We're going to send you this heavy equipment, which can't be used. Or we're gonna send you, we just you know, got all of this material. All right, we're asking, what do you need? And we're trusting and we're trusting and respectful of the Haitian organizers who have proved over many, many years, their own connection to the people in, in this area, right? And so that's what drives our funding. And we don't consider it charity, we consider it solidarity. And that's very, very different. And when you use the term disaster capitalism, there's no question that the response to the earthquake of 
2010 was like disaster capitalism on steroids. And we want to, and we understand that we don't have, we're a small organization. We don't have the power to change that entire dynamic, but we do have the ability with help from people all around the world. We do have the ability to make a dent in that. And we have the confidence that the popular movement in Haiti will use every dollar you know, that is sent there in the best possible way to help their people. I want to ask uh, Pierre in the few minutes that we have, uh, maybe you can also talk about the political situation in Haiti since the assassination of Jovenel Moïse. Yes, uh, the political situation since then, and it, it remains unchanged for the majority population. The killing of Jovenel Moïse, the assassination, is something really from the top. And it's more of a part of an internal squabble among members of the oligarchy, um, members of Jovenel Moïse um, um, inner circle, what have you, but uh, at least from what we, we know. But it's nothing that has really any kind of um, it's not really connected. In other words, it's the people at the top fighting each other how, and how to best suppress the majority population. So uh, what, you are, what, what has been going on, people are continuing to rely on their ability to mobilize, to organize, to overturn, as Famila Valassin says, the cauldron, meaning the system of oppression, the system of repression. That is causing right now. We are talking about the South, where the latest, where this latest disaster occurred. However, there has been an ongoing disaster, which has been really nurtured by the United Nations, United States, Canada, France, United Nations occupation, and that disaster has been the um, the birth of um, a number of death squads that are um, not just in Port-au-Prince but throughout Haiti. The one that's mostly known is called the G9 Federation of Death Squads, which in the media it's reported as gangs. And it's under the leadership of Jimmy Cherizier. But really it's a resurgence of the Tonton Makuts and the FRAP and these other um, terrorist organizations that are there to suppress the people. And I don't want to leave the UN out of it, though I mentioned them, because one of the things that the UN troops that had landed in Haiti in 2004 and continuing has been a constant um, uh, number of massacres that they have conducted in the impoverished communities, in the working class neighborhoods where people, they, they preferred to attack in the wee hours of the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning when people are in their bed and they open up on people through the roofs of their houses. I'm not making this up. We have a video recording of these massacres that have taken place. Uh, since 2004 and continuing. So this is the current situation. But with that, there is, a, there is the people's resistance continues unabated. Uh, people are facing these massive guns and um, these massive resources of the state, plus the diplomatic and political support that the United Nations and to, some, and to a large extent, the US, France and Canada are providing to these terrorists in Haiti and, uh, and trying to legitimize them and trying to make them appear as if they represent something credible in the country. But the people know better. And as we are dealing with the disaster, 
people are continuing the vision that is driving the people's movement, which is a Haiti of justice, of equality, of democracy, and as Robert said, being the voices that will um, shape the development of the country for the benefit of all. That movement is ongoing nonstop. Um, could I, could oh, I just ahead. add one thing? Yeah, please. Which is, I want to talk a little bit, you know, because you asked about the specific kinds of projects that the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund supports. And I just want to like talk about UNIFA, the University of the Aristide Foundation, as an example of the kind of project that is a long range project for the people of Haiti. And this was uh, originally a medical school founded, you know, by the Aristides and then shuttered during the 2004 coup, taken over by the military, like, and all they were 247 doctors who were being trained there and they had to flee to, because the, and the entire university was shut down. When the Aristides returned in 2011, they reopened it. It now has a few thousand students. It has graduated, what is it? A couple of hundred doctors you know, nurses, you know, physical therapy. It's, it's, it has, it's built the first school of physical therapy in Haiti. And it's an example of the vision that Pierre was talking about being applied like in, in reality, in the midst of a repressive government, in the midst of, you know, this, these weaponized paramilitary forces, in the middle of all that, you can see the vision of the popular movement embodied in a place like UNIFA. And so in this kind of situation where there's a desperate need for medical help, right? An institution like UNIFA, even as, even as beginning as it is, can be one of the, you know, can provide some direct assistance to people who are affected by the health catastrophe that is both ongoing and is in the future. And so those are the kind of projects that embody a new Haiti. And it's in embryo, it's an embryonic form. It's been attacked. It's been um, crushed at different times, but it's not just the political movement. It's like, this is a movement like the Panthers used to talk about serving the people. And this is a movement that does. And those are the projects that we're proud to fund and proud to support, not just financially, but politically. It's a magnificent project. I've been there with the Haiti Action Committee. I think, I think you all took me there in uh, April of 2016. Um, we actually had a doctor traveling with us as part of that delegation, an emergency um, doctor, and he was asked to come and work with the students and start training them in, a, in, a, in triage and emergency room medicine. <laughs> so so that was a, it was a Watch fabulous me. experience. It's a magnificent um, concept and project. And what, is, um, what has UNIFA's specific response been to, to the earthquake on Saturday? Do they have the ability to send mobile um, medical units or at the very least doctors and nurses? I know we're reading that the Cuban doctors have responded to the best of their ability, those that are in, the, in Haiti already. 
Well, yeah, I have no doubt that uh, I, I don't have anything concrete, but I have no doubt that they are, because usually uh, the UNIFA staff and people associated with UNIFA are trained to do that, to be on the scene, whether in an organized form as UNIFA or whether they are as individuals, because the students of UNIFA are recruited from different parts of Haiti and part of their training very different than the usual medical schools in Haiti where you have a certain elitist type of formation or training, they are required to donate to, not to donate, but to participate in, the, in, in providing services to the population. And that's a requirement. And so, but not only a requirement, but it's part of the training, part of the philosophy of it. And so I have no doubt about that. One of the things that's very exciting too is that UNIFA just started the School of Agronomy because um, in order to train young people in agriculture. And so I believe this will be the second year of this, of the School of Agriculture, which means a lot because Haiti produces, we used to be self-sufficient in our food production until the, the so-called neoliberal policies, basically, you know, to destroy the local production and make you a dependent nation. That's all it means. But they use all those fancy cliches, you know. So UNIFA well, it's, is it's who controls is the food controls that. the people, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and UNIFA so has been training be the School of Agriculture as open, and this is something that's that's very exciting. And UNIFA also provides mobile clinics. So part of what of the training of the students is to have regular mobile clinics open free of charge, medication provided for free to the population where when somebody shows up, you don't just get your blood pressure checked and then you get sent home. There is a chart that's put together with all your information and medication is provided to assist you. And, and this happens uh, regularly. And so people are getting, as they come back, they get regular checkups and regular updates, medical updates on, on how they are doing. So this has been ongoing. So this kind of training is the kind of preparedness, you know, for a situation like this. That's right. And so that's what, um, that's very exciting. Robert, did you want to add something? No, I think that's, I think that says it. And it's about treating, it's about developing programs that respect the people. And that, you know, and that, of course we could use more of that here as well you know we could and some of the models that are being developed in haiti you know are things for us to learn from you know as activists here and we've learned a tremendous amount from the movement in haiti from its resilience and from its capacity to keep connected to the people no matter what i mean this these this movement has faced two coups years of occupation by foreign military you know, forces and a massive movement to undermine and marginalize it. And it's still there and it will be there in terms of this relief effort. You know, it, it will be a, a central part of how people sustain themselves over the next year or two in the face of this. So we're, we're honored to work with this kind of movement and you know, to continue to build solidarity and support for it. Can you remind our audience where they can donate the web, the web address? Okay, it's www 
HaitiEmergencyRelief.org, the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund. Thank you so much. And Yoav, you have a you have an organization in Boston you want to recommend? Yeah, it is the Association of Haitian Women in Dorchester, Massachusetts. And if you go to their website, you will find a link to how to donate. Uh, I don't, yeah. I will send email to, to, to people who participated in our webinars about this source, but Association of Asian Women in um, Dorchester, Massachusetts, which is a, a suburb of Boston. Great. For our audience, I'll post both, um, I'll post both um, web addresses um, with the um, YouTube program description so that it's, it's there for all of you to see. I'll put it in the, in the YouTube chat as well for all of you. Any closing statements? I would just oh, like yeah. to, I would like to thank Code Pink and Massachusetts Peace mm -hmm. Action. You have been there around Haiti, you know, and we appreciate your work so much. And thank you for the opportunity in this, you know, very dire, you know, and many in many ways terrifying moment to build solidarity with Haiti. So thank you so much. Great to work with you. It's great to know you and and together I think we are more powerful and we should succeed. And Terry, thank you so much for inviting me. It's always great to work with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you to all, all of you. I, I wanna make one closing comment that, you know, um, you, like Pierre you. and Robert mentioned that right now, Haiti is, is in the news uh, for a moment. So I would propose to all of us that we do a follow-up program to make sure it isn't just this moment for Haiti, that we follow the, the response to the earthquake and, and give our audience some periodic updates so that it's not just, you know, a moment in the media for Haiti. Exactly. So, and I thank want you to so add, much. And I want, I'd like to add really real quick, uh, again, my thanks, I echo what Robert said and Yoav and you, Terry, thank you so much for to the audience for the support, the solidarity, but also to the people of Haiti, my brothers and sisters in Haiti, mm -hmm. want to say, present our condolences to the Haitian people as they are going through this and say courage, hang in there. You have lots of love and solidarity from people throughout the world. And uh, as our foremothers and forefathers have overcome these challenges, many big challenges in the past, we will overcome this movement and Haiti will be a place of peace and justice and equality for all of its daughters and sons. So hang in there, everyone. Thank you, Pierre. Pierre, you and your people are, are, are beautiful, inside and out, beautiful people and a, and a shining example for all of us. I want to remind our audience that you've been watching What the F is Going On in Latin America, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program of hot news out of Latin America and the Caribbean. We broadcast every Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And also, I, I um, want you all to know that Code Pink Radio broadcasts on WBAI out of New York City and WPFW out of Washington, D.C. every Thursday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. So, gentlemen, I look forward to, um, to joining you again and Pierre 
um, all our best to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, everyone. We're okay. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, wow. Let me get. Let